0: We get ready to get started into our message, and I don't want to rush into this. Um, last week, we were probably the straw that broke the camel's back and breaking the internet. Uh, we had a lot of issues streaming, <clears throat> but I think every church and their brother was online last week, so I think we got it all worked out. If we don't, you can make your comments. We won't even hear you, but you can uh, get on Vince, let him know if you're having any issues and he'll either get back with you or ignore you, one of the the two. Um, Our high school will be meeting at 1020 this morning through the Zoom app. If you have a high schooler and they want to interact, it's a live interaction teaching with Nate Irby and Thorsen Lofstad. That'll be at 1020. You can download the Zoom app and if you have any questions, whatnot, um, go to our website. Matter of fact, all these announcements can be answered on the website. Prayer tonight at 6 p.m. again through Zoom. Wednesday night service is at 7 p.m. and that will be streamed Facebook and YouTube. Um, we are putting together community outreach groups to help those within our neighborhood and, and your neighborhood who may be shut in and need someone to help them get medicine or groceries, whatnot. Um, you won't be asked to pay for all that stuff uh, that will be taken care of by those who need the help. But uh, we want to offer our our hands, our feet, our cars, our time, and those resources for that. So if you're interested in that, you can go to our website. All right. Uh, Children's Church, we have that online. Uh, Lifeway Ministries has graciously offered their curriculum to churches during this time. And again, go to the website if you want to know more about that. Awana, we have the materials here at the church. So parents, um, for your Wednesday night or midweek service that you are going to hold at home with your kids, we have materials for you here at the church. All you have to do is come by, pick it up. We'll even bring it out to you in the curb, and we'll make sure that we're all wearing our full hazmat suits as we we bring it out to you, okay? Uh, Giving online... uh, or you can mail it in concerning your your ties and your offerings and finally there is a covid19 update online by dr don so again everything we point to you now is on the internet okay is that it guys anything that i missed all right you can't see anybody i'm sure well maybe you can see natalie she's eating up here but Sorry. All right, let's pray. Father, these are interesting times indeed. And you, looking down through the yawns of eternity, knew that this day would come. And you are here, and you are with us. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that it has a calming effect upon us. It reminds us of your words that you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. Thank you for the calming presence of the Holy Spirit within us. And thank you for the love of the saints that even though we cannot be in each other's presence, we can still electronically and digitally stay in touch. This morning, Father, as I get into your word, I am reminded that nothing can separate us from your love, that you spared not even your own son, that you might have fellowship with us and that we might be with you even now throughout all of eternity. So bless this time I ask you as we get into your word Make it come alive to us. I pray this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right. I don't know if you heard this or not, but there is a uh, global meditation event happening this evening. Deepak Chopra advertised, stay home, have hope, join us this Sunday for a live global meditation event, connecting people across the globe from their individual homes will set our collective energy toward healing the world at a time when we need it most. Yeah, it's a a little late on the scene, don't you think? Prayer to the world is a whole lot different than prayer for the Christian, and and that probably goes without saying. NBC News writer Nicole Spector wrote, as an agnostic who does not identify with any organized religion, my version of prayer isn't rooted in any tradition or theology. It's not a regular practice, nor one with set rules or goals. Sometimes I take a pantheistic approach of praying to the universe, focusing on sending healing thoughts out to the world particularly others who are suffering. Sometimes I'll just visualize a ball of light in my head, a collective conscience benevolence, and aim to contribute positive energy to it. Sometimes I pray to my twin brother, Philip, who died when we were nine years years old. And these meditative acts may just be a way of being real with yourself locating where you are right now, what you're feeling and identifying your needs. Because praying is saying, I am really hurting about X, I'm really hoping for Y, and I'm looking for support from Z. Um, That is reaching out into a darkness and touching nothing. Meditation and prayer, you know, you keep using those words, but I don't think they mean what you think they mean. I, I would say to that person what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John four twenty two, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship. Jeremiah 10, ten, the Lord is the true God, He is the living God and the everlasting King. In Isaiah 45, 5, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God beside me. The true, the living, the everlasting God. To learn how to worship the Lord, the true and living God, we've been looking through praying through the tabernacle. Truly, prayer is an act of worship. It's acknowledging that we have faith that God is a God who not only invites His children to pray to Him, but He is a God who desires and makes a way to have a personal, intimate fellowship with Him. And this morning, we look at the final station of our praying through the tabernacle, the most holy place where you find the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. So let's find out what that's all about. Um, Turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus 25. Here's the background. Moses is on Mount Sinai, and he's receiving instructions on building this portable worship center called the tabernacle. And here in Exodus 25 he's describing one of the pieces of furniture in this compound and it's called the ark of the covenant or also the ark of the testimony. Let's start at verse 10 and look at the structure. They shall make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height and you shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and out you shall overlay it and shall make on it a molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side, two rings on the other side. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark that the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark, and they shall not be taken from it, and you shall put it into the ark, excuse me, you shall put into the ark of the testimony which I will give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits shall be its length, and cubit and a half its width, and you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work, you shall make them at the top two ends of the mercy seat. Verse 19, make one cherub at one end, the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim of the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings. They shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. So what we have here are detailed instructions on how the ark of the covenant is to be constructed. It's basically a rectangular box. It's four foot in length, two and a half foot in breadth, and two and a half foot in height. Overlaid entirely with gold, and a crown or molding of gold to be put around it. Lid was to be fashioned out of one solid piece of gold, which was about 52 inches by 31 inches, and two cherubim facing each other, faces bowed down, wings touching. This was called the mercy seat. Okay, now let's go to chapter 26, look at verse 33. And here he describes where in the tabernacle this ark was to be placed. It's called the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. Look at Exodus 26, 33. And you shall hang the veil from the clasp, then you shall bring the ark of the testimony in there behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and most holy. You shall put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy. The most holy place The most holy place was a room. Uh, 15 by 15 by 15. Uh, Basically it's 220 I'm sorry, 15 foot square by 15 foot, right? I'm not saying it right. I'm, I'm a preacher, not a carpenter. It's 225 foot square, square feet. Okay, so that's about the size of a nice walk-in closet, you think? Pretty nice walk-in closet. All right. Let's go to the purpose. If you look back at chapter 25, verse 8, God says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. This is the purpose of this sanctuary. The most holy place is a sanctuary, a hallowed place, a holy, sacred, consecrated place where the presence of God could dwell. Or as Spurgeon says, a a token of the presence of God. We know that no small closet is going to contain the God who created the universe, right? And that God is spirit and no one has seen him at any time. So it would be a token manifestation of his presence that would be there in this sanctuary. And then verse 22, if you go down to verse 22, he says, there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. Think about this, this is the Lord, the true and the living God, the everlasting King who wants to personally dwell with his creation and meet with his creation. Perhaps, you know, familiarity has bred contempt, but does this in any way impress you? What if I told you that this morning before I got here, um, I was on the phone with President Trump, would you believe that? No, I can hear by your chuckles. What if I told you that I speak with him every day, and uh, we have a, a relationship, and I call him Don, and he calls me Dennis? Would you believe that? Well, what if it were really true? What if we were on a first-name basis, and, had, and I had total unrestricted access to him 24-7-365? Now, wouldn't that be impressive? Well, maybe not if you're a Democrat, but to some people it would be. Well, there is a greater than Trump, Jesus Christ, the Lord, the true and living God, the everlasting King, with whom I have a wonderful personal relationship. And we are on a first name basis. I call him Jesus, and he calls me knucklehead. All right. I call him Lord, and he calls me friend. I have unrestricted access to him, the creator of all things, 24-7, 365, and he adores me, and I adore him. That was the plan all along, guys. Now I want to show you something. Go back to verse 8. God says to Moses, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Now, in the Hebrew paraphrase of the Old Testament scripture, called the Targums, and this one is from the Targum on Kelos. It renders verse 8 like this. They shall make before me a sanctuary and I shall cause my Shekinah to dwell among them. Shekinah, you hear that phrase? You know, the Shekinah glory of God well shekinah is a form of God's glory it means basically to dwell okay the glory of God dwelling with you it describes the visible manifestation of God's presence all right the word glory is kabod in the Hebrew and it means weight a uh, heaviness it's the idea of a, a weighty person in society or one who is impressive and profound and very worthy of respect. Now, back in the 60s, back in the day when, when I was cool, we used to use the phrase, whoa, that's heavy, man. That's heavy duty, right? And you guys who are movie fans, you probably saw Back to the Future, And the 1980s, Marty McFly kept using that phrase, which was unfamiliar to the 1950s, Dr. Emmett Brown. And he wanted to know if there was a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull in the future. Why do you keep saying everything is heavy? (laughs) Heavy means serious, impressive, profound, worthy of respect. God's glory focuses on his splendor and his high status. Uh, Rick Warren said, what is the glory of God? It is who God is. It is the essence of his nature, the weight of his importance, the radiance of his splendor, the demonstration of his power, the atmosphere of his presence. Now the Shekinah glory was a visible manifestation of God's presence. Scottish clergyman, Reverend Dr. John Cummings said, when it, that is the glory settled between the cherubim as a perpetual bright light and token of the presence of God in the temple, it was called the Shekinah, so named from the Hebrew verb shekan, which means to dwell. The visible manifestation of God's presence was the Shekinah, the light that dwelt among men in the most holy place. Okay? You got that solidly in your minds now? All right? Well, now turn to John 1:14. And this is why that that understanding that is so significant. John 1:14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, who in John 8 will tell us that he is the light of the world, came to dwell among us. Now that word dwell in some translations is rendered tabernacled. And John and the other disciples beheld. That word beheld means to take a calm, continuous, contemplative look at the glory. The glory is the doxa. That's the Greek version of the word kabod, glory. So what I'm saying here is that Jesus is the visible manifestation of the presence of God. Dude, that's heavy. 2 Corinthians 4.6 says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He is the Shekinah, the Shekinah glory, the manifest presence of God for us. Uh, some unknown author wrote this, We have not seen Jesus raise the dead. We have not seen him cast out devils. We have not seen him hush the winds and calm the waves. But we do see with our mind's eye his spotless holiness, his boundless love, his superlative truth, his wondrous heaviness in a word. And this is where the slide begins. We have seen and do see his fullness of grace and truth. And we rejoice in the fact that the tabernacling of God among men in Christ Jesus is attended with a more real glory than the mere brilliance of light and the glow of flame. That's awesome. In of itself. And if it ended there, we would all bow our heads and walk backwards. (laughs) Right? But it doesn't stop there. There's more. And that's why this is so cool. John 15, 15. John 15, 15. Jesus is speaking to his disciples on the last night of his life. And he says, No longer do I. Now, who's I? That's right. The Shekinah glory of God. The kabad, the heaviness, the weight. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. It would be his right to call us servants all the time, to keep us subservient to him, to keep us in a lowly state, to lord it over us. But he says, I have called you, what's the word, people? Friends. For all things I heard from my father I have made known to you. Did you hear that? This everlasting God, this king of kings, this eternal being calls us friends, phylos in the Greek. One commentator said that elevates us to a permanent state of new dignity. Just as Abraham was called the friend of God, so are we called now the friend of God. John Corson said, Jesus considers me his friend. That's amazing. I'm fickle. I'm flaky. I'm foolish. But the Lord looks at us and calls us his friends. This means he doesn't love us because he has to, but because he chooses to. He likes us. He gets a kick out of us. We're a delight to his heart, and we bring a smile to his face. Amazing. So, as we enter this station of praying through the tabernacle, I want you to bring you back to the whole reason why we're studying this. Wrap your mind around the fact that you're entering the most holy place to meet with your friend. Friend whose manifest glory was between the wings of the cherubim on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. You don't lose your awe, but you gain your friend. How awesome is that? This is where God promised to meet with men, okay? Back to Exodus 25, guys, real quick. Exodus 25, then we're going to go to Numbers, and then we're going to come back to Hebrews. Exodus 25. Exodus 25:21, You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you and there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony Got that? Go to Numbers chapter 7 Numbers, just a book over to the right. Numbers chapter seven, look at verse 89. Now when verse, excuse me, verse 89. Now when Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting to speak with him, He heard the voice of one speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the Ark of the Testimony, from between the two cherubim. Thus he spoke to him. They're communicating. They're having a relationship. The Most High God with Moses. Now turn to Hebrews chapter 4 in the New Testament. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4. Look at verses 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So guys, where are you going to find this throne of grace? In the most holy place is where you find the throne of grace. The mercy seat is the throne of grace. John Bunyan, that writer of Pilgrim's Progress, this throne is the seat of grace and mercy, and therefore it is called the mercy seat and throne of grace. This throne turns all into grace and all into mercy. This throne makes all things work together for good. Think about this. Whenever you close your eyes and bow your heads and intentionally begin to speak to God, to pray, this is where you are ushered into in the spiritual realm to the Holy of Holies. This is where you communicate with him and commune with him. It's with your spirit, that intersection between the mind, the heart, and the imagination that you enter into the Holy of Holies. And there you approach the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and grace. Now, what's the definition of mercy? Not getting what you deserve. What would we deserve well you don't deserve entrance into the holy of holies you don't deserve entrance into where the mercy seat goes but because of mercy and because of his grace you get to receive the mercy which happens to give you the grace it's the gift that gets on giving right God provides help in our time of need. No trial is too great. No temptation is too strong. But that Jesus Christ can give us the mercy and grace that we need when we need it. Please take that to heart, guys. I have no idea of what tomorrow is going to bring with this virus thing. It could get a whole lot worse. And you're going to be tempted to succumb to fear you have a place where you will find the shelter of his wings in the holy of holies where nothing can touch you there nothing can touch you when you enter into the holy of holies the first thing you will see is your friend your eternal God now feelings of guilt and self-condemnation will probably well up you notice how that goes That tends to be the way it is for me. Every time I start to pray and really try to draw close to God, every stupid thing I've ever done comes to my mind. Right? And our first cry should be for mercy. Please, dear friend, don't give me what I deserve. Don't give me justice. And you know what he says? Absolutely. Here you go. Mercy with a large order of grace to go with it. It's been said a man who comes to God pleading for mercy receives divine favor. That large order of jumbo grace is strength and help and counsel and direction and support for the trials that you're going through. Don't depend upon your own strength and your own wisdom to figure it out. You've got a throne of grace to come to, the Holy of Holies, enter it. And we are assured that we will receive mercy and grace. And we're freely invited to boldly approach his throne. You know, his arms are open wide. He's waving us closer. Come on, come, come. I know my dad always say, come here. No, here. And that's when he wanted to, you know, take a switch to me. But your father doesn't have a switch behind his back. He's got beckoning arms. Come, come on, come close. I mean, who is there who would not be overwhelmed with despair if it was just a throne of justice that our God sat on? There'd be no hope. I don't want justice. I want grace. Albert Barnes said, By day and by night, from year to year, from generation to generation, he is on such a throne. In every land he may be approached, and in as many different languages as people speak, may they plead for mercy. In all times of our trial and temptation, we may be assured that he is seated on that throne, and wherever we are, we may approach him with acceptance. There is not a day of our lives in which we do not need pardon, not an hour in which we do not need grace. Let me, uh, let's reflect on a couple of things there and we'll ask the worship team to come back up in just a minute. Wrap your mind, wrap, did I say that right? Wrap your mind around that as you pray through the tabernacle, after you've entered his gates with thanksgiving for what he's done for you and praise for who he is, after you've confessed your sins at the bronze altar and forgiven others and committed to follow him with your whole heart, after you've been cleansed by the washing of the water of the word at the laver, after you've prayed for your daily bread at the table of showbread and prayed for all of the mysteries who are light to the world, at the golden lampstand and you've prayed for the needs of your family, your friends, and government officials, your enemies and your frenemies at the altar of incense. Now enter into the most holy place. The sanctum sanctorum, that's the Latin for holy of holies. The holy of holies where the Shekinah glory, the manifest presence of the true and living God The eternal king of kings, your friend, dwells sitting on the throne of mercy and grace. Now you enter and do what? Enter and say what? Well, the first thing I would suggest is that you just enter in and wait. Wait on him in silence and in quietness of soul. Isaiah 30, 15 says, For thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. So just wait on him. Be silent. Be still. Let your words be few. Just breathe. Take it in. Think about it. Recognize where you are. Recognize in whose presence you find yourself in stillness. Our God is to us a place of stillness. The Holy of Holies was a closet of absolute silence. Spurgeon said, The stillness within the Holy of Holies of the temple must have reached the intensity of awe. What repose one might enjoy who could dwell in the secret place of the Most High. Is that what you need to hear? I hope you are hearing it. Is there a striving or fretful spirit about you? Are you getting in your own way, being self-protective, causing more harm than good? Do you know that God wants to give you rest? Enter the Holy of Holies and rest. Enter and find refuge. Spurgeon said, now, beloved fellow believer, wherever you are, wherever you dwell, God will be to you a constant place of refuge. You shall flee from sin to God in Christ Jesus. You shall flee from an accusing conscience to his pardoning love. You shall flee from daily cares to him who cares for you. You shall flee from the accusations of Satan to the advocacy of Jesus. You shall flee even from yourselves to your Lord. And he will be to you in all senses a place of refuge. So number one, Wait on him in stillness and quietness. And then number two, after a season of stillness and quietness, worship. Worship. As John Corson advocates, let the spirit choose from a menu of items for you to worship him from the Psalms. Lift your hands, sit before him, stand before him, bow before him kneel before Him, lie prostrate before Him, dance before Him, sing before Him, shout before Him, thank Him, praise Him, worship. Psalm 62, excuse me, Psalm 63, and and you can turn there, we're going to be closing with this. Psalm 63. Thus, we're in verse 2. I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. Praying through the tabernacle, enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. At the bronze altar, confess your sins, accept his forgiveness, forgive others, and commit yourself to wholeheartedly surrendering to his will. At the laver, wash with the water of the word. Bathe all of your prayer into the word of God. The best way to pray his will, which is what prayer seeks to accomplish. In the holy place, where now you will serve the Lord in prayer, at the table of showbread, pray for your daily needs. Because you can't be a blessing if you haven't received the blessing. At the golden lampstand, pray for all the people in ministry shining the light of Christ to the world. Pray for a fuller manifestation of the Spirit in their lives and ministry. At the altar of incense, pray for the needs of everyone you can think of, your friends, your family, your enemies. And then enter into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, in silence and awe. Approach the throne of God, the mercy seat, Be silent and then worship your friend, your Lord, your Savior with a menu of options from the Psalms. Sing to him, lift your hands to him, bow before him, dance before him, just enjoy him in his presence. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, it is my hope and my desire that these words spoken today would be more than just mere words, just another sermon, Father. I pray that they would find fertile ground in the hearts of the listeners. Who may be allowing themselves to be given over in fear right now? There's no need to fear. God is on the throne. And that throne is a throne of mercy, where mercy and grace will be poured out to anyone who comes and asks and admits they need it. And you call us, friend. Wow, that is a high honor. Just love it being your friend, Father. So cause us, Lord God, to walk in your love, being kind and considerate to one another, looking for opportunities to do good works that you may be glorified. And Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Manifest him through our lives. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, yeah, that's right. Amen. God God bless you all.